Today's scripture reading is from the book of Jonah, chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? It was the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Nari. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here today. So I'm going to say something right now, and you're going to be like, duh, Eric, obviously that's true. But the last few years have been hard, right? Everyone, everyone's aware of that, right? I mean, on an individual level, many of us lost jobs or had to take pay cuts. Some people in our church community were separated from their family for months or years at a time. Our daily routines were constantly interrupted. And on top of it all, there was just this undercurrent of fear in everything. Like, what if I catch the virus and get super sick? What if someone in my family is exposed to the virus and the government comes in and separates us from one another and we have to be apart from our young children? What are we going to do? And that's just on an individual level. And then as a church, it was difficult too because, you know, we have to switch to Zoom for months at a time. We couldn't eat together. Like how awesome was last Sunday just getting to eat together? It was so much fun, but we couldn't do that for three years. Giving has been down, so things have been tough financially. Opportunities for going out and connecting with the wider community have been very limited because of government restrictions. And I think during this past three years, because it's been such a hard time, it's become very easy for, for us as individuals and for us as a church community to just focus on ourselves. Like the question we're asking is like, what do I have to do to just get through this season and survive? We feel like we don't have capacity to think beyond like the four walls of our home. But one of the realities of, of who God made the church to be is that he didn't put us here just for ourselves. God placed us as a church here so that we can be a blessing to our city. 
He's put us here as his people on earth so that we can live in a way that shows the people around us how amazing it is to follow him. He placed us in this community at this time because he wants our presence here to be an invitation to the people around us to know him and love him and trust in him and follow him. And here at the bridge, we believe this really strongly. Like we have our four core values up on these signs, Christ, community, calling, commission. That last one, commission, is all about this idea of we as a church don't exist just for ourselves. God put us here so the people around us can know who he is. And I confess, out of these four core values, that's probably the one I'm weakest in. It's probably the one that I'm most easily let slip when things get hard. And I think during the past few years, I've definitely seen that happening in my life and in the way that we've been moving as a church for various reasons. But I think as things have been getting back to what we would consider normal, we as elders thought that it would be really helpful for us as a church to take some time to just reorient ourselves on the question of why God put us here as a church in the first place. So we're going to take, we, you know, we normally work through, straight through a book of the Bible. We're going to take a break from that for a few weeks. And we're going to be jumping around to some different passages and talking about loving the city. We'll talk about what does it look like to love our city? How do we do that practically? Why should we love our city? And so today we're going to start by looking at the book of Jonah, this passage that we just read. And we're going to see that God calls us to love our city because he loves the city. God calls us to love the city because he loves the city. And we're going to see that God loves cities. God wants us to love our city, why we fail to love our city, and then learning to love our city. But first, let's pray. God, we come to you today as a people that you have called to love our city. And we confess that in various different ways, for various different reasons, we fail to do that so often. I pray that you would use these coming weeks to just give us a vision for what it could look like to love our city and give us hearts that desire to be a blessing to the place that you have put us. God, we pray for the prosperity and blessing of Hong Kong, the city that you have brought us to. And we pray that you'd speak to us today to help us understand how we can be a part of bringing that prosperity and blessing to our city. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in our scripture reading today, we looked at Jonah chapter four, because that's the passage we're mainly going to look at in the sermon today. However, if you don't know the bigger context of Jonah's story, this chapter on its own is probably a little bit confusing. So I'm going to start us out by just going back and recapping the story of Jonah for anyone who doesn't know it or who has forgotten it. The book of Jonah starts with God speaking to a man named Jonah. And he says, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and I want you to tell them that I have seen their evil. Now, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian empire, which was the biggest, most powerful nation in the world in that day. And some prophets who lived around the same time as Jonah had foretold Assyria, this empire, is going to come in, they're going to conquer Israel and wipe us out. So for God to say to Jonah, I want you to go and warn them that my judgment is coming. I want you to go and give them a chance to, to fix things before it's too late. If you want to understand what that would have been like in Jonah's mind, imagine God telling a Jewish person in 1935, I want you to go to Berlin and warn them 
that my wrath is coming and give them a second chance. It feels like a direct threat to your personal and national well-being and safety. And Jonah understands this, so he, as quickly as he can, runs as far away as possible. He buys a ticket for the furthest destination possible in the opposite direction from Nineveh, hops on a boat, and sails away. And as he's sailing, God sends a massive storm, so massive that all the sailors on the boat think they're going to drown. They figure out that Jonah's responsible and he tells them, yeah, I'm trying to run away from God. Here's what you have to do to save your lives. Just throw me overboard. And they're like, I don't think that's a good idea, but nothing else is working. So let's do it. And Jonah hits the water. The storm stops. And as he's drowning in the ocean, thinking he's not going to survive, God sends a fish that swallows Jonah. And Jonah spends the next three days inside the fish. And while he's in there, he composes this amazing prayer, praising God for rescuing him. And then three days later, God has the fish vomit Jonah onto dry land. And he once again tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. Tell them that I've seen how evil they are. 40 days are left, and then I'm going to wipe them out. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he tells them, hey, everyone, God's going to wipe you out in 40 days. And they listen to him, and they believe what he says, And the the king himself proclaims this time of, of mourning and repentance for the city and says, you know, who knows? Maybe if we take this seriously and we turn from our evil, we can be rescued. And God hears the prayers of the city of Nineveh and he decides to save them. Jonah is wildly successful in this mission that God has sent him on. And Jonah is furious about it. That's where today's passage picked up. He tells God, I knew you would do this. That's why I ran away in the first place. God, if you're going to be like this, if you're going to forgive them, it's better for me to die. Just kill me now, please. And God, in his patience, just asks a question. Is it good for you to be angry? And rather than answer the question, Jonah turns around and walks out of the city. He finds a place where he can sit and watch the city, hoping that God will change his mind again and decide these guys really do deserve to be just wiped out completely. And while he's sitting there, it's hot, it's the desert, the sun's shining on him. God overnight has this big plant grow up that gives Jonah shade and protection from the sun. And Jonah is so happy. He can relax and watch his enemies burn in peace and comfort. And then the next morning, a worm comes and eats the plant. And the plant withers and dies right as the sun comes up and gets super hot and a hot wind comes to oppress Jonah and make his life miserable. And he once again says, God, I am so angry. Kill me now. It's better for me to be dead than alive. And God once again asks, is it good for you to be angry? And Jonah says, yes, it is good for me to be angry, angry enough to die because of what happened to the plant. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, you care so much about this plant. You did nothing to make it come to life. It was here one day, gone the next day, literally a day. You care so much about this plant that you want to die because it's gone. If you care so much about a plant, how much more should I care about this city that has 120,000 people in it and lots of cows? God cares about the cows too. 
And then the story ends, and that's the book of Jonah, right there. And we're starting out our series on loving the city right here because the story of Jonah shows us that God loves cities. I mean, think of all the things that God does throughout the book of Jonah to care for the city of Nineveh. When he sees how evil they are, he sends someone to warn them. When that guy runs the complete opposite direction, he moves heaven and earth to get him back on track. When they repent and go into mourning and and say, we're sorry for the evil things we've done, he listens to them and he rescues them. He goes out of his way to show care for this city. And remember, Nineveh was an evil city. Right? They weren't some shining example of virtue and goodness who deserved God's kindness because of how wonderful they are. They were so wicked and evil that God was on the verge of just wiping them off the face of the planet. And even then, at their worst, God loved them. He cared about them enough to take practical steps to rescue them. So what can we learn from that fact? We can learn that God loves cities. Full stop. He doesn't just love the good cities. He doesn't just love virtuous cities. He doesn't just love green cities. He doesn't just love cities that have a certain type of government. He doesn't just love cities that stand for justice and virtue. He loves all cities. But why does God love cities? I mean, we we live in a city. We've seen the ways that cities can oppress people. We've seen the ways that cities can make life hard. We've seen how living in a city can just sort of seem to to suck out your soul and drain your life. Why would God love this type of place that can go so terribly wrong? And the answer is God loves cities because God loves people and cities are where people are. God loves cities because God loves people and cities are where people are. And he tells this at the end of today's passage, shouldn't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? God cares about Nineveh. He cares about whether things go well or poorly for them because Nineveh is a place full of people and God loves people. Pastor Tim Keller, he puts this really memorably. He, He says, in cities, you have more image of God per square inch than anywhere else on earth. In cities, you have more image of God per square inch than anywhere else on earth. If people are made in God's image, like the Bible says, a place with lots of people has lots of God's image, and so God cares about it. In the specific context of today's passage, God shows his love for the city of Nineveh by having what's called pity for it. This word pity that he says, should I not pity Nineveh? It literally means to have tears in your eyes. He looks at the horrible state Nineveh's in. He knows there's judgment coming their way. And it puts tears in his eyes because he loves them. But it doesn't just lead him to have tears in his eyes. It leads him to do something else too, because this, this word pity, it's an emotion that leads to action. God looks at the horrible state. He has tears in his eyes, but then he does something about it. He sends Jonah to warn them so that they can be rescued. He pities them, which leads to him rescuing them because God loves cities. Even 
evil and wicked cities. God loves cities. And you know what that means? God loves Hong Kong. Have you ever realized that? That God loves Hong Kong. He wants to see cities, including Hong Kong, prosper and thrive and experience blessing, not judgment. And because of the kind of God that he is, it's not only that God loves cities, but he wants us to love our cities as well. God wants his people to love their cities. See, on one level, the entire book of Jonah is just one big lesson of God trying to teach Jonah, I want you to love cities because I love cities. And that, that kind of makes sense that God would want his people to love cities because he loves cities. Because if you think about what the Christian life is about, the Christian life is about getting to know God, growing deeper in our love for God, becoming more like him as this happens. And if he's a God who loves cities, then when we're becoming more like him, we should be growing in our love for cities as well. Right? That's, that makes sense given the type of God that he is and how following him works. But the thing we see in Jonah is that God wanting his people to love cities, it's not just a calling for super spiritual people. It's not just a, people who, a calling for people who work in full-time ministry. It's for all of God's followers. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Jonah this closely to realize this. I, I haven't until someone pointed it out to me. The book of Jonah never once refers to Jonah as a prophet. Now, there are other places in the Bible that refer to Jonah as a prophet, and Jonah is included in the, the list of biblical books that are known as the prophets, so he clearly is a prophet. But if you just read the book of Jonah on its own, it doesn't present Jonah as some super spiritual guy. It actually presents him as a total mess. But if you're just reading the book of Jonah, he's a normal person who's given a job to do by God. And it's a job he does not want to do. But God wants him to do this job because God wants his people to love cities. And actually, Jonah's struggle to love Nineveh, Jonah's outright refusal at times to love Nineveh, it's actually meant to be a challenge and an invitation to you and me. See, we all have times where God calls us to do things that we just don't want to do. Ever been there? Maybe times where he calls us to love the coworker who is just unlovable. Times where he calls us to choose honesty over profits. Times where he calls on us to sacrifice what we want for the good of the people around us. We all have times where God tells us to do things we just don't want to do. And when those times come, it, it creates a tension for us, just like it did for Jonah. I know this is what God wants for me, but I really want that. And whose will is going to win out in the end? Am I going to do what God wants me to do or am I going to do what I want to do? And that tension of this gap between what God wants for us and what we want for ourselves, it's something we can all relate to. God structured this story of Jonah in such a way because he wants us to see ourselves in this story. As he's challenging Jonah to love his city, he actually wants to challenge you and me to love our city as well. And if the story is about our struggle, that, that explains why the story just ends with this cliffhanger question. Right, did you notice this? God, the last verse of Jonah, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle, the end. 
What happens? Does Jonah get it sorted out? Does he figure it out finally? Does he just say like, no God, forget it. I'm just going to die in this desert because I'm so angry. What happens? We don't know. And that's because the most important thing for us to figure out as we read this book is not how Jonah answered the question, but how we answer the question. God wants you and me to understand he loves cities. And we, he wants us to know that it's right for him to feel that way. It's right for God to love cities. And he wants us to take his love for cities and make it our love for cities. There's one pastor who put it this way. He said, because cities matter to God, cities should matter to us. Short and sweet and simple, but memorable. Because cities matter to God, cities should matter to us. Now, I realize this idea of loving the city can feel a little abstract. Maybe we can take a minute to unpack it. We'll get way more into this in the coming weeks, but just touch on it briefly today in case you're wondering. When I say God wants us to love our city, I'm not saying, therefore, you are stuck in Hong Kong. You are never allowed to leave. You're married to Hong Kong. That's it for life. That's not what I'm saying. But I think this idea of loving the city comes down to a question of our attitude towards the city. What is your most fundamental basic attitude towards Hong Kong? When you think about Hong Kong or any other city you may live in someday, is your first thought, how can I give to the city? How can I invest in making this a better place for the people who live here, for everyone around me? Or is your first thought, how can I benefit myself? How can I advance myself during my time here? These are fundamentally different attitudes towards the city. And loving the city is having a perspective that seeks to care for the people around you, to invest in the good of the city, to make it a better place for everyone to live. That's what we're talking about when we talk about loving the city. Having an attitude that this city isn't here to make my life better. I'm here to make the city better. And God wants us to have that attitude towards Hong Kong for as long as we're here and to live that out practically in the ways we approach our day-to-day lives. And again, we're going to dig way more into that in the coming weeks, but just a little intro to that idea for now. And that's a great ideal to have and live by, isn't it? That we want to make the city a better place for everyone. We want it to be better because we were here. We're here to love and serve the city. But so often, I think if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, that's not the attitude we have towards the city. Even if we're Christians, even if we're followers of Jesus, it can be difficult to live this way on a day-to-day basis. And so we need to take some time to look at why we fail to love the city. Why we fail to love the city. And I see in this passage two things that really keep Jonah from loving this city. And I think they're two things that also keep us from loving our city a lot of the time. And those two things are disordered loves and bad theology. And don't worry, we'll unpack those so you can understand what I mean. First, disordered loves. So when I talk about disordered loves, here's what I mean. Our hearts love many different things, right? We love God, we love our spouse, we love pizza. And it's not bad that we love many different things. The Bible actually commands us to love many different things. We're commanded to love our neighbor. We're commanded to love God. We're commanded to love our spouse. We're commanded to love our enemies. And there's actually more that we're commanded to love by the Bible. So it's good for us to love all of those people and things. But in addition to the things the Bible calls us to love, 
we love other things too. Does anyone love their sports teams? It's not a bad thing to love your sports teams, guys. It's okay. Celtics won last night. <laughs> we love certain foods. We love our holidays. We love more things. And even though we love lots of things, and it's okay to love lots of different things, we're not supposed to love everything the same. Right? So like, just biblically, the, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. So our love for God is supposed to be higher than our love for anything else. Our love for ourselves is not supposed to be higher than our love for our neighbor. We're supposed to have an order where we love God above everything else. We love big things a big amount and we love small things a small amount. And when we get that right, life goes well. And when we get that wrong, things get messy. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about disordered loves. So for example, there's nothing wrong with you loving pizza. But there is something wrong if you love pizza more than you love your spouse. Everyone following? Because if you love your spouse more than you love pizza and there's one piece of pizza left and you know your spouse would love to eat that last piece of pizza, you would happily give that piece of pizza to them as a way of loving them and serving them and making them happy. But if you love that last slice of pizza more than you love your spouse and they start reaching for it, you might not say anything, but inside there's a conversation happening. How dare they? That pizza is my right by birth. Don't think about it. Don't touch it. Put it back. Right? When we, when we love the right things in the right ways, things go well. We love and serve other people. When we love things out of order, then we love things and use people. And that's when life gets really messy and bad. And, and on one level, Christian maturity is actually just about having our loves in the right order. Love God most of all, love big things a big amount, love small things a small amount, and you're going to be good. Love small things a big amount, love anything else more than you love God, love big things a small amount, you're going to be in trouble. And we can see from God's interaction with Jonah today that Jonah has his loves out of order, right? Jonah is angry that God saved the city. And then he's angry that God didn't save the plant. Now, is it wrong for Jonah to love the plant? No, it's, it's good for Jonah to love the plant. It's a source of shade. It protects him from the sun. It's a good gift from God. It made his life more comfortable and gave him shelter. But the problem is he loves the plant more than he loves the city of 120,000 people. He wants to see the city destroyed because he hates the city but he wants to see the plant rescued because he loves the plant more than anything else in life. His love is disordered and it keeps him from loving the city properly. And in the same way in our lives, when we get our loves out of order, it keeps us from loving our city properly. Right? I mean, looking around this room, the vast majority of us were not born in Hong Kong. Some of us were, most of us were not. And for most of us, I think we came to the city because of things we can get from the city. Whether that's career advancement, whether that's money, life experience, Hong Kong is safer than where we grew up, maybe we moved here for a relationship, whatever it is, the vast majority of people in this room and a lot of the people we interact with came to Hong Kong because of what we can get from the city. And all those things that we came here to get 
They're good things. It's okay to want those things in life. But when our primary perspective in life, our primary attitude towards the city is how can I get all this stuff rather than how can I love and serve the city? Our loves are disordered. We're loving all the things that we can get from the city more than we love the people in the city who God loves. Like Jonah, we love ourselves and our comfort more than we love the city. And when we do that, it leads us to live in ways that are wrong. We use the city instead of loving the city. We're willing to disadvantage the people around us in order to advantage ourselves rather than disadvantage ourselves in order to advantage the people around us. When our loves are disordered, we never love the city in the way that we're supposed to. So that's the first thing that keeps Jonah and us from loving the city properly. The second thing that we see in this passage that keeps Jonah from loving the city properly is bad theology. And I know theology can be a big intimidating word and you're like, I don't do theology, that's too scary. We all do theology. Theology just means the study of God. So if you have any ideas in your head about who God is or what he's like, you're doing theology on some level. It could be good theology or bad theology. It could be right theology or wrong theology, but you're doing theology. So if you believe that Jesus is God who died for our sins, you're doing theology. If you believe God is too big for any one religion to contain him, and so no one religion can, can claim that they have a hold on the truth about God, you're doing theology. If you believe there is no God, you're doing theology. And the consistent message of the Bible is that if we get our theology wrong, it leads us to live wrong. If we get our theology wrong, it leads us to live wrong. And on one level, Jonah looks like his theology is perfectly right in this passage. You look in verse two. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah is literally quoting God's words about himself back to God. He knows the content of the Bible. He, he looks like he has really good theology. But what did that theology lead him to do? All the things that he knew about God led him to run away from God as far and as fast as he possibly could. Because Jonah knew certain true theological facts, but his theology was flawed on a much deeper level. See, at the core, Jonah believed that he made a better God than God does. He believed things in the universe would go a bit better if he got to call the shots rather than God calling the shots. His understanding of right and wrong was more accurate than God's understanding of right and wrong. Jonah had bad theology, this wrong belief that he actually was wiser and more capable of running the universe than God. And that led him to a wrong view of himself, thinking way too highly of himself and his ability to call the shots. And that led to him mistreating the people that God had called him to love. When we get our theology wrong, we live wrong. And that same dynamic, it played out for Jonah, it plays out in our lives as well. See, Jonah understood at a very deep level that God forgives undeserving people. I mean, if you look back in the story of Jonah, he, he was drowning because he was running away from God and God rescued him. The only reason Jonah is alive at this point in the story is because God rescues undeserving people. But Jonah somehow believed that he deserved it. 
because he was one of the insiders. He was part of God's chosen people. And these foreigners, these outsiders, they don't deserve it. They're different. He had bad theology that led to feeling entitled, feeling like he deserved God's kindness to him. And because of that, when God was kind to the undeserving people around him, he got angry. And it can be so easy to slip into these same traps today. I mean, have you ever met someone who's a Christian? They, they believe right things about God. They believe right things about how God saves us. But then they feel entitled to special treatment from God because of their faith. They're like, God, I, I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. Why did you give that promotion to the non-Christian in the office? God, I've been giving so faithfully to the church. Why did I lose my job? Why did fill in the blank? If we believe that God's blessing is something he owes us, because of all the good things we do for him. That's bad theology. That's believing that that we can earn our way to God. And when we live with that kind of bad theology, it's gonna make us angry when God is kind to people that we think are undeserving. Or when God is kind to people who don't seem to be as serious about their faith and, and doing things the right way. Wrong theology leads to wrong living and it keeps us from properly loving the city but God calls his people to love the city. So how do we do that despite all the obstacles? Let's look at learning to love the city. And learning to love the city requires a right perspective. That's what we see from Jonah's story today. God, he works in this passage to give Jonah a right perspective on this city of Nineveh. And he does it in such an uncomfortable way. Because Jonah, he leaves the city and it tells us that he goes out to the east and God sends this plant to cover him and give him shade and protect him from the heat and the sunlight of the desert. And then again, as we said, God sends a worm the next day, eats the plant, kills it. And as the plant is withering away and dying, God sends what's called a scorching east wind. Now, most commentators believe this wind is something that's called a Sirocco. Have any of you ever heard of that? So a Sirocco, they make the temperature rise very rapidly and the humidity drops very rapidly. So it's crazy hot, crazy dry, super fine dust particles are flying around everywhere in the air. It's a mess. And the air, as this wind blows, becomes electrically charged positively. And so what that does is it affects your brain function and it can cause exhaustion, depression, feelings of unreality, and occasionally bizarre behavior. It's so extreme that in some countries, if you commit a crime during a Sirocco, you can actually get a reduced sentence because they know this storm can cause extreme crazy behavior. So God puts Jonah in this place physically, mentally, emotionally, where he is worn down and exhausted and overwhelmed and unable to cope with life. But there's even more to what God's doing here because we see in the passage that the wind comes from the east. Now, normally in Nineveh, this type of wind would come from the desert in the southwest. The wind coming from the east means that it's coming from the completely wrong direction. Meaning this isn't just a normal wind that would pop up out of the blue. This is something specifically sent by God to get Jonah's attention. There's no way of avoiding or denying that truth. God breaks Jonah down. He brings him to the point where he wants to die and feels justified wanting to die. And he does it in such a way that it's absolutely clear. You can't miss it. God is the one doing it. 
And he does all of that to give Jonah perspective on his situation. See, Jonah's response to the plant's death, his desperation over his situation, it shows that Jonah himself, he's unwilling to live in a world without grace. He needs God to be kind to him if he's gonna have a hope of surviving. When God takes away that, that kindness and protection, he feels completely overwhelmed, completely incapable of coping with life. He understands firsthand, I need God to rescue me. But he's unwilling to have God show that same kindness and rescue to the city of Nineveh. And God uses that desperation of Jonah to try and teach him a lesson, to give him perspective so he can learn to love the city. You pity the plant. You didn't work for it. You didn't make it grow. It grew up in a night. It died in a night. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? The great city, there are more than 120,000 people there. How much more should I care about this city than you care about that plant? And just like Jonah needed God to give him proper perspective in order for him to learn to love the city, we need that too. Right? If you're here today and you're a Christian, that means that you have reached the point where you have admitted, I can't do life on my own. That's just basic what it means to be a Christian, right? You've confessed my best efforts to earn my way to God fall short. They leave me far away from him, deserving his judgment, and there's nothing I can do to get to him. And so you turned to God and you begged him to rescue you, even though you didn't deserve it, you couldn't earn it for myself. That's what being a Christian means. It, it means that you rely day to day on a completely undeserved gift of God's grace to rescue you. And to the extent that you believe that's true, that God rescues you when you absolutely don't deserve it, that's the extent to which you'll live, love the city around you. They're undeserving of your love. Well, guess what? You are undeserving of God's love. They don't care about God. They just do what they want. That's how you started out. They mistreat others to get themselves ahead. Yeah, that, that was your default state before you met Jesus. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, your attitude towards the city is one index of whether or not you know you're a sinner saved by grace. If you know you're a sinner saved by grace, you can no longer feel paternalistic towards people who don't believe or live like you do. You won't be so absorbed in your own comforts and all the things that keep you from loving the city. God says to Jonah, look, I don't think you have my heart because if you understood my grace and if you understood my nature, when you look at a city, you would love it instead of hating it. 120,000 people. So let me ask you, when you look at our city and the people around you, do you really believe the good of those people is more important than your preferences? Do you believe the good of the people around you is more important than your comfort? Or do you get upset when they get the good things you know you and only you deserve? God is asking you and me today, just like he was asking Jonah, do you have my heart for your city? Has my mercy and forgiveness towards you when you were undeserving, has that turned you into someone who wants to show mercy and forgiveness to other undeserving people? Has seeing how I rescued you, reordered your loves, put them in proper order so you can live the way towards the people around you that I want you to live? Has experiencing my forgiveness fixed your wrong theology, given you the perspective to see they're no more undeserving than I was? See, so you're really willing to let God be God and trust that he can do a better job running the world than you can. 
And of course, if this challenge carried weight for Jonah, how much more, challenge, how much more weight does it carry for us? Because you and I know something that Jonah didn't know. See, Jonah knew that God pitied the undeserving cities of the earth. But you and I know that that pity led him to send his only son to die for them, to send his only son to die for you and me, to rescue us. It was a gift we could never earn, never deserve, but it was given freely to us. And to the extent that that reality and that truth and that gift has shaped our perspective, we're gonna be people who love the city where God has placed us today. So church, God loves cities. God loves Hong Kong. And he wants us to love Hong Kong as well. But it's hard. We have disordered loves that keep us from loving the city. We have bad theology that keeps us from loving the city. And if we're gonna love the city like God wants us to, we need him to come in and transform us and give us his perspective towards the city to reorder our loves, to fix our theology so we can live in the way that he calls us to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love cities. We thank you that you took us here in this city and you let us know who you are. Even though we were completely undeserving that you've come to rescue us. We pray that you would help us this week to live as your messengers in the city, to bring your love to the people around us, to show them there really is a God. He really does forgive. He really does love you and he wants to see blessing and prosperity right here, right now. God, make us your, your ambassadors to bring the blessing and peace and prosperity that you want in our city. In Jesus' name, amen.